Welcome to Calvary Chapel of Columbia, where we're unpacking God's truths one verse at a time. And now here's Pastor Tim with today's message. If you have a Bible, open with me to Matthew chapter 24. Matthew chapter 24. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. You're going to want one this morning. Matthew 24, Daniel chapter 9, and Revelation 6. You can look here. They're up on the screen for you. Matthew chapter 24, Daniel 9, and Revelation 6. Again, if you need a Bible, lift your hand up high. You're going to need one this morning, and we are going to be in a whirlwind of scriptures this morning. The awesome thing about prophecy is, is that it takes you from Genesis to Revelation. You cannot understand prophecy unless you know the Bible cover to cover, and that will help you uh, to interpret some of these things that are difficult to interpret. And so we're going to be all over the place today. I'll, I'll put a lot of the scriptures up on the screen for you. You might want to get a pencil or a pen or, you know, on your iPad or your phone, what, your device or whatever, so that you can write some of these scripture references down. But we're going to be covering a lot, of, a, a lot of territory this morning, and Matthew 24 will be our base text. We're in the Olivet Discourse, and man, it's been incredible. The last time we were together, we, uh, we considered verses uh, 1 through 14, and this morning we, Lord willing, will attempt to do uh, verses 15 through 51. And the thing about it is they really, if, when you're reading this, you really just need to read it all together. There's so many scriptures to, to go over on a Sunday morning, but remember Jesus said this all together. He didn't break it up. And so it's important that as you read this, you read it in, in context and you read it in the flow of what he was saying, and, you know, that you read it in the same vein, that he's not, he's not stopping. It's not, okay, Sunday morning's over. We'll come back next week. You know, Jesus at this point in time is just a few days away from the cross. He's about ready to be crucified. He's left the temple for the last time. His disciples, as they're leaving the temple, his disciples say, Jesus, look at the temple. Look how magnificent it is. Look at the majesty of those buildings. And Jesus told them in Matthew 24, in the very first verse, he, he said, look at those stones. Not one of them will lay upon another. This thing will be destroyed, which surfaces some questions from his disciples. And that's what we went over last week. If you missed it, you can pick it up on our podcast uh, via iTunes or Google Play. You can look at it on our website. Uh, it will help you to understand the rest of what we're going to talk about. There's a lot of information there, so go back and listen to that if you didn't get it. But uh, um, the title of my message is The Future Revealed. The Future Revealed. And so without further ado, would you stand with me and we're going to read uh, the beginning of Matthew chapter 24, beginning in verse 15 this morning. And hear the word of the Lord. So when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel, standing in the holy place. Let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let the one who is on the housetop not go down to take what is in his house, and let the one who is in the field not turn back to take his cloak. And alas for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days, Pray that your flight may not be in winter or on a Sabbath, for then there will be a great tribulation such as has not been from the beginning of the world until now, no, and never will be. And if those days had not been cut short, no human being would be saved. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. 
Father, we thank you for your word this morning. Lord, what a text we have before us. Would you come by the power of your spirit right now and help us to divide your word correctly, Lord. We know that you have something to say to us today. Every one of us, your word to us is be ready. Be ready. God, help us to know this morning if we are ready to see you face to face. You're coming. Your time is short, Lord. I pray that you would awaken our hearts to the reality of your word this morning, God, and you would help us to see. Lord, speak to us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You could be seated. By way of reminder, just so we can put this into context, Jesus is speaking to four Jewish men. And he is speaking, these four Jewish men have asked him, their Jewish rabbi, a question. What we have to understand is the context of the passage is relating to the future of Israel. This is not a historical, uh, you know, fulfillment. This has not been fulfilled already. Jesus is speaking future, and he's speaking about the nation of Israel. The questions you can find in, in Matthew 24, verses 2 and 3 there, um, where, where his disciples asked him, after he said, you know, what will be the, you know, when, when, you, when these, the, the temple will be broken down and all, what will happen in Jesus? And they asked him these questions. Tell us in verse 3, when these things will be and what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? So Jesus is answering their questions, and he's answering them in reverse order. He's speaking about his coming first. And when we get down to verse 36, then he will talk about the when, of when all this will happen. We know that Jesus is speaking at this particular moment in verse 15, midway through the tribulation period. And the reason that we know that is because he mentions the abomination of desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel. The abomination of desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel. You can make your way to Daniel chapter 9 now if you have it, your finger in there. If not, no big deal. It will be on the screen for you. But Daniel is talking to us, he tells us about an abomination of desolation that will enter into the holy place halfway through or three and a half years into the seven-year tribulation period. He is speaking about a seven-year tribulation period. Let, let's look at it in, in, in its totality as we begin in verse 24 there. Here's what Daniel says, 70 weeks are decreed about your people. Who are, who are God's people here? Who is it? Israel. You can speak in church. It's okay. Who is it? Israel. Okay, so it's Israel. So he's speaking about Israel and your holy city. What city would that be? Jerusalem. There you go. To, to, here's the six reasons why this decree was given. To finish transgression, to put an end to sin, and to atone for iniquity to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal both vision and profit, and to anoint a most holy place. Listen, know therefore and understand that from the going out of the word to restore and build Jerusalem to the coming of an anointed one, a prince, there shall be seven weeks. Then for 62 weeks it shall be built again with squares and moat, but in a troubled time. 
And after the 62 weeks, an anointed one shall be cut off and shall have nothing. The people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. Its end shall come with a flood, and to the end there shall be war. Desolations are decreed. Verse 27, and he shall make a strong covenant with many for one week, and for half of the week he shall put an end to sacrifice and offering, and on the wing of abomination shall come one who makes desolate until the decree end is poured out on the desolator. Now, as you are probably already aware, one week in the Bible can equal seven days, and it can also equal seven years. It all depends on the context. It all depends on what is being said, you know, before and after it mentions the word week. In this particular case, when you read uh, the book of Daniel and you understand weeks are being defined as in years. So one week is the equivalent of a seven-year period. Daniel is prophesying about 70 weeks, 77-year periods. That's a total of 490 years, okay? The first 69 weeks, the seven weeks from the word that's going forth, and they build Jerusalem. You can see right here it's 49 years, the seven weeks. And then the 62 weeks equivalent out to 69 weeks. The first 69 weeks or the 483 years is dealing with the time period from which the command that was given to go and rebuild, to, to restore and rebuild Jerusalem to the coming of the Messiah. It's that period of time. Now, thanks to uh, Sir Robert Anderson's calculations, we know from March 14th, 445 B.C., the day that Artaxerxes gave the command for, uh, you know, Nehemiah to go back in and to, rest to, to restore and to build Jerusalem to April 6th, 32 A.D., exactly 483 years later, or... 173,880 year, uh, days, just in case you wanted to know that, you can count it for yourself. We're using a 360-day calendar because that was the calendar they used back then. But, but we find that on April 6, 32 AD, uh, the, the most incredible thing happened. The Messiah came. I don't mean he was born. I mean he came as the king. He came on a riding in Jerusalem on a donkey to the day. They screamed out, Hosanna, to him. What an incredible prophecy. Only God can do this stuff, folks. Only God can do this kind of thing. And he prophesied hundreds of years before this would happen that Jesus Christ would ride into Jerusalem 483 day, um, years after this uh, command was given by Artaxerxes. Listen to me. You can trust God's word. You can trust it. And Jesus will tell you, my words will never pass away. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will never pass away. If you're questioning God's word today, that is the enemy. And God wants you to know that he does what he says and he says what he does. And you can put your full reliance and trust in his word. Incredible, incredible prophecy. Jesus rides in to Jerusalem in the triumphal entry 69 weeks after, you know, the... the um, the prophecy was given for the command to restore and to build Jerusalem. Incredible. Uh, Daniel goes on, and he says in verse 26 there, 
after the 62 weeks, after that 483 years, listen, the Messiah shall be cut off and shall have nothing. Well, Jesus was crucified four days after the triumphal entry. Four days after the triumphal entry, Jesus Christ would hang on a cross. That would complete everything that was being talked about then. At that point, Daniel begins to speak about a people of the prince who is to come. Now, according to Daniel chapter 7, that particular prince that's being spoken of here is a reference to Rome. Therefore, the prince, uh, the prince of the, the people, the prince who is to come, would be who? Would be the Romans. Would be the Romans. Here's the thing. Uh, in 70 AD, the Romans came into Jerusalem and they destroyed the city and the sanctuary. They destroyed it. Just as is being prophesied. Again, just as being prophesied here. Daniel then tells us a little bit more about this final week, this seven-year period to come. There's a gap in between that. We are currently living in between the 69th week and the 70th week of Daniel. That is where we find ourselves today. We've been here for nearly 2,000 years. So don't tell me Jesus may come back, you know, hundreds or thousands of years later. It's been thousands of years. It's been thousands of years. They were waiting for him to come. When he came, they were expecting him to, you know, set up his kingdom. And I promise you that he's coming soon. I promise you that he's coming soon. So we have to be ready. Daniel tells us a little bit now about this seven-year period, this, this period called the tribulation. It says in verse 27, then he. Now, who's the he here? This is speaking about the Antichrist. He will make a strong covenant with Israel. For a period of seven years. That's the seven-year tribulation period. He's going to make a strong covenant with them. What is that covenant going to be? Many believe that it's going to be a peace treaty. Israel desires peace. That's all they long for. They have been at war since they have become, since they've ever been in existence, really. Satan has been trying to wipe out the Jews, and we'll talk about that in a moment. But the reality is, is that the Antichrist will make some kind of a covenant with Israel for a period of one week or seven years, and midway through that uh, covenant, he is going to break the covenant with Israel. And, and for three and a half years, what is termed as the Great Tribulation period, this is the period that Jesus is talking about in Matthew 24, 15, when the abomination of desolation steps into the, to, to the holy place. That is what he's talking about. It's the last three and a half years of the seven-year tribulation period. You tracking with me? You following me on this? Okay, so here's the thing. The Antichrist is going to step into the holy place and he is going to declare himself as God. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, it tells us that he will step into the holy place. Let me just read it for you, verses 1 through 7. Now, concerning the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered together with him, we ask you, brothers, not to be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed, either by a spirit or a spoken word or a letter, seeming to be from us to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. Let no one deceive you in any way, for that day will not come. Listen, unless the rebellion comes first and the man of lawlessness, speaking of the Antichrist, is revealed, the son of destruction, who opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God or object of worship so that he takes his seat 
in the temple of God and proclaims himself to be God. Verse 5, do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things, and you know what is restraining him now so that he may be revealed in his time? For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who restrains it will do so until he's out of the way. The Antichrist will set himself into the, uh, he'll step into the holy place and he will say, I am God. And he will erect some kind of symbol that will become an abomination in the temple. And people will worship that, that, that idol. If you read about abomination in the Old Testament, you will find that it's always linked with idolatry. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 27, you can look it up later. It talks about Israel erecting, uh, you know, idols to worship, and it says it's an abomination before the Lord. There, the abomination here is probably some thing, some, something erect in, this, in the temple there that they are called to worship. The, 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 the abomination of desolation, the Antichrist, he will desolate the temple. Now, we have a picture of this, uh, you know, in his history. As we look backward, we consider Antioch, Antiochus Epiphanes. He, he called himself Epiphanes. What does Epiphany mean? God. It's, it's God appearing. If you, we talk about a Christophany or Epiphany, we're talking about seeing Christ, seeing Jesus. It's a pre-earthly existence of Jesus Christ. Listen, Antiochus, he came into the temple around one, in the 160 B.C. area, and he desolated the temple. He slayed a pig on the altar. He stuffed pig meat down the, the priest's throats. He slaughtered thousands of Jews. He was a picture of the Antichrist. He is not what was being spoken of here. That is a partial fulfillment. He is a picture of the one to come. There is one coming. There is one coming, and he will do all of these things. So Jesus is speaking three and a half years into the tribulation period. And we know that because of, he, he mentions the abomination of desolation. Back to Matthew 24. Uh, Jesus says, when you see this, when you see the abomination of desolation, get out of town. Flee. Get out of here. Run. Run to the mountains. Why? Because there will be a holocaust like has never been seen before in the history of mankind as it relates to Israel. The, the Antichrist will come against Israel. The entire world at this point will turn themselves against Israel and they will attempt to wipe them off the face of the earth. That is the mode of Satan. For three and a half years, they'll have peace and then three and a half years, they will have persecution like they have never, ever seen. It doesn't matter if you talk about Hitler. It doesn't matter if you talk about Stalin. The Antichrist will be far, far worse. He will try and wipe them out. That is why Jeremiah calls this period of time a time of Jacob's trouble. Not the church's trouble. Jacob's trouble. It is specific to Israel. Specific to the Jews. It will be a terrible, terrible time to be a Jew or a Christian, for that matter, at that time. But listen to me. Satan will do what he has been attempting to do from day one, wipe Israel off the map. He will be attempting that. You know, John writes for us some kind of a historical and a future, uh, you know, uh, hatred that Satan has for Israel. It's found in Revelation chapter 12. Here's what it says. And 
in verse 1, And a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet. I love to hear scriptures ruffling and people turning to Revelation chapter 12. Awesome. Verse 1, And a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun and a moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of 12 stars. She was pregnant and was crying out in birth pains and the agony of giving birth. And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great red dragon with seven heads and ten horns, and on, on his heads seven diadems. His tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven and cast them to earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth so that, he, so that when she bore the child, he might devour it. She gave birth to a, ch- a male child, one who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron, And her child was caught up to God and to his throne. And the woman fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared by God in which she is to be nourished for 1,260 days or, using a 360-day calendar, three and a half years. Three and a half years. Now, let me just do a little work here. The woman represents Israel here. The woman or the nation of Israel will have a baby That baby's name is none other than Jesus. It's talking about Jesus here. The great red dragon is Satan. Some say that he is red due to the fact that he's stained with the blood of the saints of God. The seven heads and the seven crowns represent the totality of control Satan will have over the nations. The ten horns represent ten kings that will rule under the control of Satan. Also spoken about in Daniel chapter 7. Next, John talks about... He flashes back to the fall of Satan in heaven, and it says that the tail of the dragon swept a third of the stars away. A third, stars in Revelation can also be referred to as angels, or in the Bible, they they can be transferred. So a third of the angels fell with Satan. And then it says that Satan is waiting for the child to be born so that he can kill the child. Now, who fulfilled that part of the scripture? We know Herod the Great did. We know that he was waiting, and in fact, he, he understood from the wise men that there was a baby going to be born. He knew that he was going to be a king. He knew that he was possibly threatening his throne, and so what he did was he killed every child to and under. But God foresaw the plan, and he, he, Jesus escaped that plan because his time is not yet. You can't, you can't take Jesus out. You can't take him out. He told us in, in, by his own words, the only person that can take my life is me. I will lay it down. No one will take it from me. He is God in the flesh. And he is in control of these things. But here's the thing. that, that, that Satan will attempt to kill Jesus. And he fails because Jesus has been ordained to rule and reign with a rod of iron. But not until he is caught up into God's throne and and until he takes his throne there. And so what happened was when Jesus was crucified, he rose again from the dead and he ascended to heaven. That is that period of time Jesus went to do that. Now everything was set. The stage was set for the 70th week of Daniel. Now we're waiting. Now we're waiting for this to come into existence. But listen, what happens to the woman? It says here, John prophesying about the three and a half year tribulation, the great tribulation, the last three and a half years, that the woman will flee to the wilderness and they will be nourished by God for 1260 days. 
Now, if you look in the Old Testament, and particularly Isaiah chapter 16, you'll find that the word wilderness there in the Hebrew relates to what you can also translate it rocks or cliffs. That's why many people, as it, when they consider what's being said here, they believe that Petra, I have a picture of Petra for you, beautiful place, been there, awesome. But Petra will be the place that the Jews run to. And there's many other scriptures other than Isaiah chapter 16 uh, that, that people reference. Is it the place? Don't know. God doesn't say emphatically this is the place. What we know is that the Israelites will run into the wilderness and that they will, what's more important about where, the where is what will happen during that 1260 days. And God himself will nourish Israel. He will take care of them. Listen, he, he is going to nourish them as he nourished Elijah by the brook, you know, at, with the ravens. As he nourished uh, the, the woman of Zephyrath with the oil and with the flour, he will take care of them for three and a half years. Exactly the amount of days from the time point in which the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel happens to the coming of the Lord. He will protect those who flee. He will protect them. It's specifically talking about Israel. Don't miss that. It's geographically specific. He's not talking about the church. Lest you and I run to the mountains and buy some property in case we have to flee, or, you know, and the result that the rapture doesn't happen, pre-trib, whatever. But then listen, it's not talking about us. It's not talking about the church. That's why we believe that we're, 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 we're going to be out of here before the tribulation starts. But the reality is, is that this is specifically speaking about Israel. In the entire chapter, I'm going to give you some views of some people that, you know, see it differently in different areas, and, and I don't even know how I see it in certain areas, and I'm working through it myself. But, but listen, if you stay in context, you have to consider Jesus talking specifically about Israel. It's kind of like us trying to take Romans chapter 9 through 11 and apply it to the church. That's speaking about Israel. It's kind of like trying to take Revelation chapter 7 and say the 144,000 people are Gentiles. They're not. They're Jews. You can't take specific things that are being laid out and apply them to the church. It doesn't work. There are promises that are only for Israel in the Bible. We can't apply those to the church. They don't apply to us. So we have to be careful. We have to stay in context. So if you stay in context, you know that he's talking about the Jews. There are people in this day and age that are prepping. They're prepping. They're getting ready for the uh, apocalypse, and some of them the zombie apocalypse, right? 14% of people, listen to this, this is crazy, 14% of people in America believe that it is possible to have a zombie apocalypse. Now, hey, praise God that they're ready, and I will find one of them if it happens. I will stay with them. God will sustain me or something. But, but listen, here, don't, don't misunderstand what I'm saying. I'm not saying don't, don't prepare if the Lord puts that on your heart to do that. But what do we find here? I don't see God instructing Israel to prep. What I find is God had already prepped for Israel. And God has already prepped for you. You don't have to worry about it. You do what the Spirit of God tells you to do. You follow the Spirit of God, and you'll be fine. You just follow the Lord. Back to Matthew 24, Jesus says, when you see the abomination of desolation, get out of town. 
do not go back. Verse 17, let, let the one who is on the housetop not go back to take what is in his house. Let not the one who is in the field turn back to get his cloak. And alas, for women who are pregnant, and for those who are nursing infants in those days, pray that your flight may not be in winter or on a Sabbath. Very Jewish here. Very Jewish language here. We don't live on housetops. We don't have patios on housetops, but they do in Israel. I don't have a cloak, do you? They do. But what I'm saying is, you know, all of these terminologies are very, very Jewish. And that's what, why we have to stay in that lane. Verse 21, for then... There will be great tribulation such as not been from the beginning of the world until now, no, and never will be. And if those days had not been cut short, no human being would be saved. But for the sake of the elect, those, will be, those uh, days will be cut short. It's going to be a period of time which the Jewish people will experience terrible, terrible persecution. Not only that, but they will be experiencing, not only will they be experiencing the wrath of Satan, upon the Jewish nation, but they will also at the very same time, don't misunderstand or don't mistake this. The tribulation starting at day one, God is pouring out judgment. There is judgment happening all through the seven years. And it in it these last three and a half years, it compounds and it comes in major, major uh, fashion. The Lord pours out his judgment upon the earth. So Israel is, yeah, for three and a half years they have peace, but understand the world is completely and totally uh, experiencing the wrath of God. God is pouring out his wrath on a Christ-rejecting world. God has not appointed the church to wrath. That's why we believe in a pre-tribulation rapture. You can look it up in First, Second uh, Thessalonians 5. You can look it up there. But uh, listen to the, the reality is if God had not cut these days short, no human being would be alive. Jewish, Christian, non-believer, nobody. It's going to be that intense. Jeremiah 37 says this, Alas, the day is so great, there is none like it. It's a time of distress for Jacob, yet he shall be saved out of it. Joel chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, Blow a trump in Zion, sound an alarm on my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble, for the day of the Lord is coming. It is near a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and thick darkness like blackness. There is spread upon the mountains a great and powerful people. Their like has never been before, nor will be again after them through the years of all generations. Daniel chapter 12, verse 1, At that time, what time? believe it's talking about this time. At that time shall arise Michael, the great prince, who has charge of your people. Who's your people again? Israel. And there shall be a time of trouble such as never has been since there was a nation till that time. But at that time your people shall be delivered, everyone whose name shall be found written in the book. To put it plainly, it's going to suck to be part of this uh, situation going on in these last seven years of the world. It is going to suck big time. And I don't mean that lightly. You don't want to be here. You don't want to be here. God is trying to do everything to woo people away from that. Right now, he's saying, don't play games. Don't play church. Don't act like you're right with me when you know you're not. Get right with me today because you don't want to be alive when this happens. I promise you. 
these people will cry out. They will desire to die in these days because of the tribulation that will happen upon this earth. You don't want to be here. God shortened these days for the sake of the elect. Now, people look at this and they say, okay, it was the elect. Who is the elect? The word ekelektos in the Greek, it, it simply means chosen. Simply means chosen. Who are the chosen ones? The Israelites, right? They're chosen people, but also the church. So who's it talking about? Jesus, again, you've got to keep it in context. He's talking about Jews here. So the elect that he's referencing here is, is Israel. For the sake of Israel, the elect, these days will be cut short. The, remember, the church won't be here. It's speaking about Israel. These times will be so difficult that people will be uh, tempted to assume, you know, as the people will tempt the, the, the children of Israel to come out of, the, of hiding, to come see the Messiah for themselves. Jesus goes on to say that in verse 23. Then if anyone says to you, look, here's the Christ, or there he is, do not believe it, for false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders so as to lead astray, if possible, even the, the elect. See, I have told you beforehand. So if you say to, for if they say to you, look, he's in the wilderness, do not go out. If they say, look, he's in the inner rooms, do not believe it. For as the lightning comes from the east and shines as from far as the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Wherever the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. Jesus is telling these people uh, at the end of the day that... that it's going to be, they're going to be afraid. It's, it's going to be a fearful time not to be fooled into thinking that Jesus has come. And then he gives two, two illustrations here. He says, you know how lightning happens. You know, you're driving down the road and you say, oh, do you see that? See what? That. Oh, yeah, I, I can see it. The lightning. Everybody can see it. It's visible. Everybody can see it. Just like you know when vultures are circling that there's a dead body down below. The other illustration Jesus gives, he's saying, you're not going to miss my coming. You will not miss it. There are, you know, oh, man, Jesus came back already. Where's he at? I missed him. Oh, you won't miss him. You won't miss him. When he comes, you will not miss him. He will be visible for all to see. So don't be deceived. Now he sets the stage for the second coming. In verse 29 on, now he is talking about the second coming of Christ. He's not talking about the rapture or anything else. He's talking about the second coming of Christ. Verse 29, immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened, and the moon will not give its light, and the stars will fall from heaven, and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with the power of and great glory. And he will send out his angels with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather his elect from four winds, one from end one end of heaven to the other. Not talking about from earth. He's talking about gathering them together in heaven. For, he's talking about a second coming. Jesus describes uh, here what John writes about in Revelation chapter 6. Turn with me there. Last place I'll have you turn. Revelation chapter 6. We were there a couple weeks ago and we went through the first 11 verses as we went through uh, verses 1 through 14. Now, uh, here applies the rest of what's being spoken of. Verse 12. When he opened the sixth seal, I looked. 
And behold, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth, and the full moon became like blood. And the stars of the sky fell to the earth as the fig tree sheds its fruit, uh, winter fruit when shaken by a gale. The sky vanished like a scroll that's being rolled up, and every mountain and island was removed from its place. Listen to this. Then the kings of the earth and the great ones and the generals and the rich and the powerful and everyone slave and free hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains, calling to the mountains and rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne, speaking about God the Father, and from the wrath of the Lamb, speaking about Jesus, for the great day of their wrath, Jesus and God the Father, their wrath and the Holy Spirit has come and who can stand. This is one of the most tragic verses we read in the Bible where mankind would rather cry out to the rocks of the earth than the rock of heaven. It is such a sad, sad situation to watch them know that they understand where this is all coming from. They understand they don't want to see God. They don't want to see, they don't want to experience the wrath. They would rather die than bow their knee to Jesus. What pride. Beware. Don't ever allow yourself to become that hardened. So sad. So tragic. The Lord then will gather the elect, it says, from the four winds, one, uh, from one end of heaven to the other. Now speaking, the elect there, uh, of all those in heaven, the chosen, those who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ. And we will collectively all come together with Jesus in the clouds of his second coming. Revelation chapter 9, verses 11 through 21. Then I saw heaven open. And behold, a white horse, the one sitting on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness his judges, he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head there are diadems, and he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in, dip, in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses." That's us. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron, and he will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. Then I saw an angel standing in the sun with a loud voice. He called to all the birds that fly directly overhead, Come gather for the great supper of God, to eat the flesh of kings, the flesh of captains, the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses and their riders, and the flesh of all men, both free and slave, both small and great. And I saw the beast of the kings of the earth with their armies gathered to make war against him who was sitting on the horse and against his army. And the beast was captured, and with it the false prophet who, is, who in its presence had done the signs by which he deceived those who had received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped its image. These two were thrown alive into the lake of fire that burns with sulfur. The rest were slain by the sword that came from the mouth of him who was sitting on the horse, and all the birds were gorged with their flesh. Verse 14, And the armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on the horses. That is the elect. That is all of those people who have died prior to to Jesus coming, 
during the time period in which Jesus was here and they placed their faith in him, who were looking for Christ to come, I should say, prior to, the Jews who were looking for Christ to come, it's speaking of them, speaking about anybody else that has placed their faith in Jesus Christ from, the, from that point forward when he came and crucified and was risen again and ascended into heaven, speaking about all, the, all of those people will come with him in fine linen, clothed in white, pure as can be. Thank you, Lord, for forgiveness. Thank you, Lord, that we can be unblemished when we come back to this place. We will come with him. The men of the earth at this point in time are going to assemble themselves together, and they're going to attempt to fight the Lord. My mic's popping. What a crazy, crazy thing to do. Try and attempt to fight against God. We do it now, don't we? Oh, we do. But not like this. But not like this. Revelation chapter 16, verses 12 through 16, talk about the battle of Armageddon there. The sixth angel poured out his bowl, the great river Euphrates, and its water was dried up to prepare the way for the kings of the east. And I saw coming out of the mouth of the dragon and out of the mouth of the beast and out from the mouth of the false prophet three unclean frog spirits like frogs. And they were demonic spirits performing signs who go abroad the kings, who go abroad to the kings of the whole world to assemble them for the battle of the great day of God the Almighty. Here's Jesus' words. John inserts right here. And he says, Behold, I am coming like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake, keeping his garment on, that he may not go about naked and be seen exposed. John is saying you don't want to be on earth when this happens. You want to be trusting in Jesus. Verse 16, and they assembled them at the place that in Hebrew is called Armageddon. Daniel chapter 11, you can read that. Joel chapter 3, Zechariah chapter 14. Those are some of the places you can find in the Old Testament speaking about this battle. But understand, it will be a bloodbath. It will be a bloodbath. Revelation chapter 14, 20 tells us, and the winepress was trodden outside the city, and the blood flowed from the winepress as high as a horse's bridle for 1,600 stadia, 184 miles. What it is saying is that there will be so many people in this valley, it will stretch across the entire nation of Israel pretty much. This whole valley, it's not just one place. It's going to happen in multiple places, 184 miles long, and Jesus with his word will slay them. It won't be his sword. His sword is his word. He created the world with his words. He will slay the world with his word. It's his word that will happen. It will, will slay them down. It will be a battle that will be so fierce and violent, blood will flow like never before. Jesus will stop his foes. You cannot stand against King Jesus. He moves on here, and he tells us a couple other things to look for as it relates to some signs. He says, look at verse 34, 32 in chapter 24 of Matthew. From the fig tree, learn its lesson. As soon as its branch becomes tender and puts out its leaves, you know that summer is near. So also when you see all these things, you know that he is near at the very gates. Truly, I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. Now, Jesus gives a picture here of, of he uses a, 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 a literal object, a fig tree. It's a literal object. 
but it's also used symbolically to represent Israel in the Old Testament. Many believe that Jesus is speaking symbolically here, saying, hey, this is, this is the fig tree. This is symbolic of Israel. And he's talking about as soon as it becomes tender and puts out his leaves, you know that summer's near. When, what, what, it, what it's talking about here, many believe, is about the idea of when, when the nation of Israel is regathered and it becomes a nation. Now, we know that Israel was the only, was a people without a home for a long time. The only people to ever exist without a home for 2,000 years. They became a nation May 14, 1948. Incredible time. This was only the Lord could do something like this, right? May 14, 1948. So many believe that, you know, it's, it's speaking about that, speaking about that period of time. And, and they say, you know, so that's how we're going to start to establish timelines in, in, the, in the Bible here is we're going we're gonna to try and calculate based on, you know, Israel becoming a nation in 1948. We're going to calculate a generation. Now, what's a generation? Don't know. <laughs> Nobody can answer that question, actually. But people have tried to. And they say, okay, well, we're going to say it's, it's 40 years. And so you have some, some guy that says, you know, in 1988, Jesus is coming back. Did he come back? I missed it. I'm sorry. I think the Bible says he didn't, he, he, we, I wouldn't miss it, so I didn't miss it. He didn't come. Then there are those who say that, well, what it's talking about is when Israel actually took full reign uh, of, of Jerusalem. That happened in the Six-Day War in 1967, where Israel finally took captive uh, Jerusalem, got the Temple Mount and all of that. So they're saying, okay, it's a generation from there. <clears throat> Wrong. That didn't happen either. So it, it's not speaking about any of those things. It can't be. Um, you know, it, it, it very well could be that what Jesus is saying and that, that, that there's, this, there's this literal fig tree that you look at and you go, wow, it's got leaves on it. Looks like summer's coming. Very well could be just simply that. It doesn't necessarily mean that he's speaking symbolically. And it very well could be that what Jesus is talking about here in a generation is the generation that exists during the seven-year tribulation period, it's very, very probable that that's what's happening here and nothing more. Very, very well could be. Now, you're entitled to your opinion on that. And, you know, I'm not telling you what to believe. I'm not telling you what I believe. I'm telling you the positions here. And you do your due diligence. We're going to get into a couple areas here where you're going to have to do your homework. You're going to have to go back and study for yourself and see where you lie on these things. But, but the reality is, is we don't know. Anybody who ever says, here's what it means exactly, is wrong in, in, in that sense. They could be right, but they're wrong in the sense that Jesus doesn't give us emphatically what he's talking about here. If he wanted you to know clearly, he would have made it very clear for you. He would have made it very clear for you. What I'm saying is that the point in which in everything else that he's about ready to say is not about trying to figure out when he's coming. That would defeat the purpose of what he says at the very end of the chapter. What he's trying to say is you need to be ready now. That's why he was vague about the, this. That's why there's so much controversy over what this is talking about. We are to be ready now. Every person that has ever lived from the point in which Jesus Christ ascended into heaven on should be ready and waiting for his coming. We definitely don't want to be setting dates. He says, he says in verse 36, but concerning the day and the hour, no one knows. His disciples asked him, when is this going to happen? No one knows. No one knows. Not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. 
For as were the days of Noah, so it will be the so it will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days, before the flood, they were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark. And they were, listen to this, and they were unaware until the flood came and swept them away. So that uh, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Then two men will be in a field. One will be taken, one left. Two women will be grinding at the mills. And one will be taken, one left. Now at this point, Jesus says, stop trying to figure out the day and the hour. No one knows. If you're reading books that say, you know, 100 reasons why Jesus is coming back, September something, you know, 2017, stop reading them. Stop following people that say, Jesus is coming back on this date. Run when you see a a date set because we know that that no one knows the day or the hour. Now, here's what Jesus did just say. He said, we know the season. We know the season. We know what to look for. And and beginning in verse chapter 24, verses uh, 4 on, he says, this is what you can be looking for. Here's some signs. And they're going to develop. Here's the Braxton Hicks contractions. Remember? Here they are. You can start to look for those. We're seeing those things. You know, and he goes on. and, And then he starts to talk about the tribulation period, which has not happened yet. We are not in the tribulation period. The point of it is, is that we're not to set dates. It's unwise to try and set a date. Now, you should be studying the Bible, and you should certainly understand these things to to the point in which you can understand them. You should have a reason why you believe what you believe. Like, you should study the Bible and, and do your best to rightly divide it on these issues, but do not ever think that you've arrived at a day when you know the day and the hour in which Jesus is coming. You, you don't know that. You don't know that. But, but he, so it, it's kind of confusing here, too, because think of this. We know from three and a half years into the tribulation period. We know when the tribulation period is seven years, and then Jesus comes back. So the timing, maybe he's not talking about the second coming here. Maybe he's talking about the rapture. We don't know. But here's the thing is, I just pretty much go, okay, Lord, I move on to the next verse because I don't really understand all of that. Jesus said, here's what he did say. It will be just like the days of Noah. People were unaware. Are people unaware? Are people unaware? They are unaware. And there is a judgment coming down on this earth. And that's what we should be concerned about. We should be concerned about the people that are living like the people that were living in the days of Noah when they were just business as usual, no big deal. Uh, you know, the, or the world is crumbling around them, and yet they're saying, no big deal. No big deal. I'm just eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage, and it's not a big deal. I'm not, con- I'm not concerned about How many of you uh, have met somebody over the, you know, in the last few weeks that has no clue what's going on in the world today? You know, there are so many people in our world that have no idea what's going on in the world today. They don't know that there was a, a hurricane in Texas. They don't know that they're, you know, uh, that there's that, you know, uh, what's going on with North Korea and, and, you know, all of these things. They don't have any idea what's happening. And I'm not saying don't get sucked into all that either. But we're to be watching. We're to be watching. We need to be aware of what's happening. We need to keep our prophetic antennas up and we need to be considering what's being said here here's what was funny I, I talked to a couple of calvary pastors about i'm like you know i know where i sit on this last passage where it talks about the two being taken one left one being taken you know um and and so i'm studying this and i'm like man there's just it's a you know some people believe what's being spoken of here is that 
the judgment is the taken here. Just as in the days of Noah, they were unaware and they were swept away. That word is taken there. And so they're saying, well, the taken is negative there. And so as Jesus moves forward, you know, it would seem that it would be in a negative context. And so it's talking about judgment here. Could be. Also could be that the taken here is speaking about the rapture. So I, I did what anybody would do. I called a couple of my very good friends that are pastors at Calvary Chapels, and I said, hey, guys, what are your guys' thoughts on this passage? You know what they said? They gave me two answers. I mean, what? I'm like, what am I supposed to do with this, you know? So the reality is, is I know what I believe. You need to read the Bible and figure out what you believe about this, okay? So we'll leave it at that. Jesus, again, the point is not about the point of Jesus saying everything that he said is to come to this point in verse 34, or 42, where he says, therefore, stay awake, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have left his house to be broken into. Therefore, you also must be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not under expect. We know that emphatically. You can put that in the bank that you will not know the day because it says it plainly. Verse 45, Then who then is the faithful and wise servant whom his master has set over his household to give them their food at the proper time? Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will be set over all his possessions. But if the, that wicked servant says to himself, my master is delayed and begins to beat his fellow servants and eats and drinks with drunkards, uh, the master of that, that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him and at an hour he does not know and will cut him into pieces and put him with the hypocrites. In that place, speaking of hell, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Jesus is exhorting his Jewish disciples here and us today to stay awake, to be ready, to be ready for his coming. Did you hear what he said here? Truly I say to you, or no, verse 46, blessed is the, that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes, that he is giving food the proper time, that he is being faithful with the gospel, with the word of God, that he's taking it out into the world and feeding people with the word. That's not just my job. That's your job too. We are called to make disciples. You also need to go out and serve food to people. When you're doing that, you're being faithful what, to, to, the, to what God has called you to do on this earth. And he says, I hope when I come, I find you being faithful. I hope I find you being faithful. Are you ready, church? Are you ready today? You, only you can answer that question, Christian. Only you can answer that question in this place today. Are you ready to see Jesus face to face? Because guess what? He could come at any moment, at any point in time. This is not a time in which we should be messing around, where we should be playing church, where we should be half-hearted about our worship, where we should be sucked into things that don't matter. We should be living wholeheartedly, everything that we have geared towards getting the gospel to people, living holy lives. That's how you uh, are called to live. That's what it means to be ready. Are you ready? Man, I got to tell you, for me, as I consider these things, I say, Lord, help me to be more ready.
Help me to be more ready. And as you come to the Lord today, as we close here, now listen. Your opportunity to say today, put, put, this, put the flag in the sand today and say, Lord, today, no matter what's gone on in your life, no matter what you've been doing, where you've been, you come to the Lord today and you repent and you come and you say, Lord, I'm putting my flag in the sand today. I'm going to live for you from this day forward. Listen, if you are not doing that, today is the day. Jesus could come back at any moment. You want to be ready. Amen? Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your goodness and uh, for giving us this discourse. Lord, we thank you for just helping us to see the reality of the emphasis of the passage. It's not so much that we understand all of the eschatological, um, you know, facts about what you're saying here, the most important thing, Lord, is how we apply this to our lives. May we be ready for you, Lord. We pray, God, it doesn't matter if we're pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib, pre-millennial, mid, uh, you know, post-millennial, all-millennial, not all of that, all of those things, it doesn't matter where we stand, they should help us to come to a place where we are saying, we are watching and being ready for you, Lord. Would you produce in our hearts this morning an urgency, God, to serve you? Lord, would you help us with the wickedness that maybe we've allowed into our lives to set that aside today, to lay it at your feet, God, that we would be clean people before you. God, that we wouldn't find ourselves this morning just serving you in some religious capacity, but we would be in relationship, God. That's what you desire for us. And so we pray this morning, Lord, that... that for every heart in this place that your Holy Spirit would convict, your Holy Spirit would, that your grace would flood this place today, Lord, that you would help us to see that, Lord, you're coming. We want to live wholeheartedly for you. And for those in this place that are doing it, God, help them to do it more. Help them to continue on to, to fight the good fight. As, as Mike said last week, Lord, that we are violently throwing down those things that don't belong in our lives. And we are running towards the prize, which is you. And so, Lord, would you just have your way in these last moments? We love you. We thank you. You deserve all the honor and glory and praise. It's the mighty name of Jesus we pray. And all God's people said, amen. Thanks for listening. You can hear more of Pastor Tim's studies through the Word of God on our website, www.calvaryofcolumbia.org. Thanks again for listening, and we hope you'll join us again as we continue to study God's Word.